Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades on five continents, culminated his ministry with a 21-year, book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called a life study. This life study is the basis of our program today, which includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's life study. The Apostle Paul wrote the books of First and Second Timothy during a period of decline and degradation among the churches that had been under his ministry. In response to this negative situation, he first laid the foundation for good spiritual health by refocusing them on God's economy. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4. Then in chapter 2, he exhorts Timothy, his faithful co-worker, to take the lead in the most crucial area of all in dealing with degraded and troubled situations, and that is in the matter of prayer. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. I exhort, therefore, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, on behalf of kings and all who are in high position, that we may lead a quiet and tranquil life in all godliness and gravity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of our Savior God. Francis Ball has joined us for our third program in First Timothy, this uh, new life study that we're in. Francis, good to have you here, and uh, important topic, isn't it, today? I really look forward to this because I believe this is written to recover us from any kind of degradation or misaiming that we might have been in. Very interesting, uh, the uh, sequence in which Paul sort of addresses this whole matter of uh, the failings and failures of the churches that had uh, once been uh, quite faithful to him, and we're drifting away and being distracted and drawn off by many things. Uh, we don't see him come in here with a spirit of uh, criticism or rebuking even, uh, but first he points them, as we've seen in the last couple of programs, to this most positive, most uh, foundational matter of God's economy, and uh, this really needs to always be our starting place, uh, shouldn't it? I believe this is what we should focus on all the time, and particularly in this matter that he brings up today about prayer. But this is the background for today's message, is to know God's economy and to see the tendency to drift away from it. Well, he uh, pointed, of course, uh, all of us, uh, all of the readers, to the matter of God's economy in the first chapter. Then he makes this exhortation to Timothy first to war the good warfare, and then points him to the matter of prayer that we just read in these few verses at the beginning of chapter 2. Uh, and what a pattern this is for all of us, I think, and uh, no matter what our situation. I think we'll hear some words today that will be recalibrating yes. uh, on how we approach things and particularly how we approach problems in difficult situations. So how about we join Witness Lee, and then we'll come back. Now we come to chapter 2. In the first verse, Paul says to Timothy, I exhort, therefore, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. After he presented God's economy among all the churches, and based upon that, he gave Timothy such a charge to war the goat warfare. After this, 
Then he gave such a word on the positive side for the proper church life that Timothy had take the lead in the prayer life. Not just in one way, not just in petitions, but in prayers and intercessions and in thanksgivings. Not only for a few, not only for certain church, but on behalf of all men. This is a prerequisite for us today to have a proper church life. A proper church must be a praying church. We all must be very much prayerful. The first thing the leaders have to pray, like Timothy. Are you Timothy? You need to take the lead of what? To take the lead of talk? To take the lead of criticizing? No. Forget about all these. Only one thing, that is to pray. To pray. Whenever you heard anything about any church, good or bad, pray for that church. Whenever you heard anything about a saint, pray for him. Don't say a word. Don't criticize. Don't gossip. Just pray. To have a proper church life, the first requirement is prayer. Oh, we all must practice this. If you and I, we all would practice this, every church will be very living. I don't know, Francis, I guess we would all have to confess that often, or maybe even most often, when difficult situations, uh, maybe a, a troubled situation in our church, even in our family, why is it that prayer becomes the third or fourth or fifth thing we look to instead of the first, as it should be? This is because we live by the natural man and by our own opinions. So we think we have to correct things when they're wrong, and we have to evaluate them properly when they're right. But the right and wrong is not the way we live the church life, nor even our Christian life. But actually, as Brother Lee points out here, prayer is the main thing. I believe, Chris, the reason prayer is so emphasized at this point in this book is because that's the way we exercise our spirit. Right. That's the way we tune in to God's economy. Without prayer, we have a lot of things we think we can do or we should do or we think have to be corrected. But actually, he points out here that prayer is the one chief thing in living the church life. It's interesting how he structures this verse. He's not talking about, we'll get into this more as the program goes on, but we'll go ahead and maybe mention it now. Not talking about prayer in a general way. He lists uh, some specific kinds of prayers for different situations, number one. And number two, neither should our prayers be focused on just a small select group of individuals or ones that uh, we always view to be the source of our problems or our difficulties. But he he makes mention of uh, praying for even all men and all the kings, and uh, he really broadens the the field of vision here, doesn't he, for uh, those he's encouraging to pray in such a way. I was really struck by this, too. About four terms are used to describe prayer 
in a general way, we use the word prayer, but intercessions, petitions, thanksgivings, right. all these things are really more specifically defining prayer. And really, if we would learn to pray first before anything and do it also second and last of all to pray, <laughs> then we wouldn't have these problems. We just bring everything to prayer. We have a lot of hymns that kind of follow that format, but uh, we need to bring our daily living more into line with uh, even the things that we read about in Scripture and sing about in our hymn book, don't we? That's right. We surely need this. Can you say a little bit about maybe the difference between a petition, for example, and a general prayer or intercession, some of these uh, things that he—I think Thanksgivings is uh, something we may more readily understand, but some of these differences are a little bit more subtle, aren't they? Well, petitions, of course, means— uh making known our requests. People know what it means to sign a petition. But when we sign a petition with God, that means we pray with a certain desire for something specific. And we depend on him to do it according to his economy, not according to our thinking. And then these other terms that are used for prayer, petitions, prayers, intercessions, Mm -hmm. Of course, we should be praying intercessory prayers. That means we're not only praying for ourselves. Number one, we're praying for God's desires, and we're praying for God's purpose to be worked out. But in that, we're praying for other people. We shouldn't make ourselves the very object of all our prayers, but be praying for others. Interceding means coming to God on behalf of others. On behalf of others. So we really need to know how to pray this way to bring all these problem cases or circumstances that come into the church life to prayer instead of gossip, instead of complaining, instead of adjusting or trying to solve the problems, we bring it all to prayer. You know, in the church, we may come into contact with a particular member who is so weakened, is having such difficulty that they're even too weak to pray themselves. That person is really uh, in need of an intercessor, aren't they? Right, that's right. Uh, we tend to get kind of preoccupied with our own, what we perceive to be our own important needs and desires and things that would affect our life. But uh, uh, being able to bring others to God as the Lord Jesus is ever bringing us to God as uh, our great intercessor, this is uh, something that is very much needful today, I think, in the church life. And I like uh, one other thing you alluded to, just to take a moment here before we go back to Witness Lee, in that matter of intercession. Those prayers are very much uh, touch. Not only are they praying for others, but they're always praying with God's purpose and God's need mm-hmm. and God's interest in view, aren't they? Yes, that's very important because many people think that God doesn't have any need, but he really needs us to pray, and he needs to work through us. There's much that he will do if we give him the prayer to do it. With. Well, this is a topic that you cannot exhaust in a few minutes or even a few programs, but we're at least going to devote a couple more sections to it today. Let's go back and uh, listen to Witness Lee as he develops this matter of prayer uh, in, a, in a very good way in this coming portion. If you take the lead because you are Timothy, you know, in the flock, the first three or four, they are the head sheep. When they take the lead, whatever direction, they go on. All the flock follows. When you, as Timothy, pray all the time in everything, taking the lead to do it, all the congregation of your locality will follow. Don't talk too much, even don't work too much. When you 
Here, one person is weak, backsliding. Don't talk. Don't criticize. Even don't go right away to visit. You must pray. Pray for him. Pray through for him. Then, whether you go to visit or not, it depends upon the Lord's leading. Some visitations are presumptuous sins because you do it by yourself. You didn't pray through. You didn't get the leading in your prayer. You must pray, pray for that certain brother. Then in your prayer, the Lord goes with you. Then you just follow the Lord. Then you pay him a visit. I tell you, such a visitation is precious. This the right way. Don't make any decision before praying. Don't say yes or no before praying. Don't reject anyone before praying. You have to pray for everything, for everyone, thoroughly. Then be assured you will have a proper church life. You have to see what spirit was there in Paul was a spirit full of burden to charge his dear children to pray. So we must see. The spirit here is a spirit of burden. I must tell you, I never prayed so much as I have been doing in these past three or four years, and I just can testify. Oh, I did see the definite answers to the prayers. If we would transform our talks. Our gossips into prayers. Our local church all will be changed, transformed. Francis, he touches a couple of important points here.、Uh, first of all, this matter that the leading ones have to take the lead in this matter, maybe above all others, shouldn't they? Well, I believe that's true, and I think、uh, from my own experience, I've realized. From messages that I've heard and from circumstances that have come about, that the only way we can go on is by prayer. Prayer puts us in touch with God in a very definite way, in an inner way that nothing else does. It's not by finding out what is the problem and finding out a solution. Yeah. But it's by prayer. And as he pointed out, if we would pray, you take some responsibility where you are. I take some responsibility where I am. That means. Chris, we should be the ones that leading the flock by prayer, encouraging and finding a way for them to be able to follow by prayer. This will really make a church life lovely. Francis, let me ask you about a phrase that he said: "Don't just pray for someone; pray through for that one." What is he implying here? I think just to mention something in prayer that you know outwardly about a person doesn't touch the point, but there is something about this particular situation. That we may have in mind, that we need to pray, not just like we're letting the Lord know. We pray through all of our concepts, pray through all of our opinions, and we drop ourselves and our natural way of looking at things. 
by prayer, we need to pray through to this extent right. where we can get God's feeling and God's desire in the matter. Sometimes we uh, throw this word burden around rather carelessly, but really to receive a kind of a burden, a real portion of the Lord's feeling about a person or a situation, and it's something that requires that we pray. I mean, we're just compelled to pray when we have that kind of direct feeling from the Lord. And to pray through means we have to continue to pray until that burden is relieved, that that burden is lifted. It's no longer a weight upon us. But whether the Lord answers or not, according to our concept is another matter, but at least we have prayed through faithfully until that burden has been lifted. Yes, that's very good. Really, a need we have among us. We live in the church life so closely in touch with each other that we really easily get some thoughts about people that are not necessarily a burden to pray through. Yeah. But we do get some information or some even inward sense about a need, and that becomes a burden. And we need to pray that until we have the assurance that God is satisfied. You know, uh, very often it's easy to criticize and be critical. And he mentioned this phrase, he said, don't reject anyone without praying or before praying. Uh, We may not formally reject someone, but we may inwardly kind of reject this one or that one because they're not up to our standard. But uh, if we pray first, I would say those that we reject be a very short list, won't it? That's right. We certainly should have a forgetting of our self-interest and praying according to the need. Hmm. Well, let's go back to Witness Lee. We're going to continue in chapter 2, add the next couple of verses that he'll touch in this final portion. In verses 3 and 4, Paul says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of our Savior God, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. And here again is Witness Lee. Petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings to be made on behalf of all men, on behalf of kings and all in high position, that we may lead a tranquil, and quiet. Tranquil means no uh, war, no disturbance, no storm, and so forth. In all godliness and gravity, this being good and acceptable in the sight of our Savior God. You see, the subject of the message is prayer to carry out God's desire for man's salvation. God does have a desire. He has a heart to save people. But he can never do things without it being done in the principle of incarnation. He cannot save a person by himself directly. He must save people through people. Even the angels were not appointed by God to do this. The angels were not entrusted by God with such a commission. This commission was only trusted to men. So men firstly have to pray. If you read the Acts, you could see on the one hand, Peter was praying on the top of the house. On the other hand, Cornelius was praying in his house. On both sides, prayers were going up to the throne to carry out God's desire to save the Gentiles through the first Gentile family, that is, the house of Cornelius. So our prayer, all the church prayer, is to carry out 
God's desire for man's salvation. God desires all men to be saved and come to the full knowledge of the truth. Not just to be saved, but to have the full knowledge of the truth that is to know God's economy. A marvelous principle is uh, developed here. Let's come back to the example he brought out in the book of Acts. This is chapter 10, I believe, where Peter is on the housetop praying there in Joppa and receives the vision. And, uh, of course, this is the Lord's move in his economy to open up the gospel to the Gentile world. And at the same time, here is this Gentile Cornelius. He's also praying. And the point is uh, that God needs, you said a moment ago, we need to be mindful of what God needs in our prayers. Here, God needed the prayer of these two to take this giant step, didn't he, in his economy? Very much. He certainly needed the prayer from Cornelius and his household because he's the one that had a deep feeling and burden for his relatives and his friends that he invited there. And then certainly there's the need for Peter to pray because Peter was brought up in the Judaism And the aspect was that this is not for the Gentiles. Right. Certainly, you shouldn't be going to the Gentiles. This is really a no-no. But Peter's prayer on that housetop brought him into a fellowship with God so God could speak to him and expose all his prejudices and open him up to be willing to go to the house of Cornelius and to bring the gospel to that Gentile home and even to the Gentile people, and was the open door for coming to the Gentiles for centuries to come. Even us. So this is marvelous. We're here because Peter got that vision, and he obeyed it, and he went to Cornelius' house and preached the gospel and brought salvation. This was the prayer, that salvation might be brought to all men. And we frequently mention this principle, the principle of God moves in incarnation. Of course, his coming to man was the incarnation, but this uh, kind of uh, hidden cooperation with him, hidden that is in the uh, confines of our own prayer life, this is in the same principle, isn't it, that God needs man to cooperate and work with him for the accomplishment of his purpose. This is what we have learned as being a divine and mystical realm, where we really have the divine life in us, But mysteriously, we're operating not according to our natural thought, but according to an anointing that we have in our prayer life. So I believe, Chris, this matter is really uppermost in having the proper kind of church life. Prayer must come first. Good to have you with us, Francis, as we begin uh, this life study of 1 Timothy. Matt Miller and I did the program uh, day before yesterday, the first one. And uh, Matt made mention of the fact that we had been talking where we were thinking in many ways it would have been good to begin the whole life study series seven and a half years ago with the life study of First Timothy yeah, because right. uh, it so builds this foundation of God's economy. And that is uh, such a foundational basis from which to approach the whole of the life study of both the Old and New Testaments. So I'm glad you're here for this important uh, kind of kickoff week. And, and we'll have more opportunities, Lord willing, together in this book. I'm really happy to be here with you, Chris. As uh, Matt mentioned the other day, the resources that are now available on the Internet, for those of you who have access to the Internet, to support the programs that you hear on our program each day, 
are really uh, tremendous. And we hope you'll take a look because, as he pointed out, the printed life study messages for the books of First, Second Timothy, and Titus are all there now. You could even print out the whole message for the day uh, before the program as well as hearing the, today's broadcast. If you missed part of it, listening to your favorite radio station, you can come back and pick it up at uh, the website or pick up any of the previous programs as well. So there are a lot of resources there, including now the recovery version of the New Testament with the text and the footnotes. So the resources are increasing day by day on the Living Stream website, and I'll give you that now. It is www.lsm.org. From there, you can link to the radio programs and all of these other things that I mentioned. Of course, our toll-free number is also available if you'd like to contact us to get the printed volume of the Life Study of First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. That's all one volume. Call us toll-free 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. Tomorrow, we'll continue in Chapter 2 of First Timothy, verses 8 through 15. If you'd like to look ahead and get ready for that, we hope you'll join us then. And for Francis Ball, I'm Chris Wilde. Thanks very much for listening today. The Gospel of John unveils the New Testament reality of the types of Christ conveyed in the Old Testament tabernacle and offerings. The reality of the five main offerings in Leviticus serve as the examples in the first 12 chapters of John, and in chapters 13 through 17, the Gospel of John unveils the New Testament reality of the type of the tabernacle. The fulfillment of the tabernacle and the offerings in the writings of John is now available Get your copy today by calling 1-800-549-5164.